0: Business opportunity is one thing. And true enough, if you see now, it's the norm for businesses, shops, retail shops to use that. They don't really use only cash registers anymore, right? Mm. So, but then the mistake I made, I made at the time was about the people, which is why I hired more about the people, right? Because if you, if you deal with people who, whom actually you should not have trusted, no matter how good the business opportunity is, it's actually useless,
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the following five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all A.E. Stotts Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Andre Shu. Andre, are you ready to rock?
0: No, fine. Andrew.
1: Let's do it. I'm going, to introduce you, I'm going to introduce you to the audience. Andre is a thinker and business strategist based in Singapore. He started his entrepreneurial journey at 17, working on a real estate project while juggling three academic degrees completed concurrently in Australia. He is the author of three books about qualities, mindsets, and frameworks that are relevant for business, which he observed in several business tycoons who left a deep and lasting impact on his life. Andre likes to use multiple techniques to read, predict people, assess situations, and formulate strategies that are suitable for properties and negotiations, deal structurings related to assets. He likes to educate, share knowledge, insights, and reasoning of strategies to business associates, who then proceed to implement them. He looks forward to doing this with people who share similar value and vision, like many of you, my listeners. Andre, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life.
0: Actually, uh, initially at the beginning of my life, I was was quite a timid guy, actually. And I didn't really like to study. I just went on and then gradually I saw my father build up his business. And then I followed him around. And then I learned along the way. I became a bit more curious. So I, I saw him work hard build the empire and things like that. I saw saw his business friends. Some of them were business icons. And I saw that they were quite unique in their approach, in their style. And even some of the techniques they use to to have foresight of situations, which is just not about, you know, being analytical or or just thinking through situations. They can be quite perceptive and they're open to other possibilities. They're they're basically very broad-minded people. So... I learned many things during that episode. But subsequently, uh, after my father reached some success, I became a bit more complacent. So I began a bit more relaxed and then a bit more lazy. And then and then things began to fall, fall apart. So, including in my father's company. So then gradually he got to dismantle the whole thing. And then we got to rebuild that. So, so I, then I, I began to study hard. Which is why, as you mentioned, I did uh, study three academic degrees concurrently so I went into high speed but then after a while you know I I learned that you know study is not everything even though I was surprised you know so but you know I, I talked to some of my lecturers at the time yeah, that there's got to be more than this to success yeah. it's not only about study it's not only about making money yeah. mm. so as I, as I and my family rebuild things then I I begin to learn about many other things. Like what you mentioned are the two strategies and stuff to read situation, to read people, to read characters, which, you know, I learned not through the success only, but interestingly, as you pointed out in our previous correspondence, that mm. yeah, it learned from mistakes, actually. Some And some of them were quite painful, you know. Not just, I say, my father's one, but even my own. So, which I guess is something I get to share here, right? So the audience
1: can, can learn from. Mm, great. One question I have for you is like, what do you do in your free time?
0: What do I do in my free time? Actually, yeah. I like to meditate and I like to read all kinds of books. Even comics, comics I like to read. Because even comic it sparks creativity. And actually in business problem solving and even negotiations. You need to observe a lot of behaviors in people. And you need to be imaginative. Which is why even sometimes comics are quite fun to read. So, mm. oh, I mean, seriously. And I like to watch movies too. Because from movies, especially, not the fantasy ones. It's more like the drama ones. Because yeah. I get to see dramas. Because I do see dramas too, you know, in real life. Mm. As see people being too dramatic in things. I do see them too. From time to time. So they're real, you know to some degree. Although it's not quite like the Korean drama where the guy rides horse, you know, it's it's not quite that, but, but you know, the basic behavior is there too, you know, which I do observe in business families. Yeah. Quite eccentricity in the, eccentricity and things like that, which, yeah you do need to know, and in something in business negotiation, business problem solving, you do need to factor that in because you, because you do deal with people, right? You don't deal with buttons, yeah? you just press it. Yeah?
1: Mm.
0: You deal with people, you need, you need to relate to them. You need to understand them. Really, you need to understand the worries, anxieties, concerns, and you need to understand their true motives, which they don't always tell you upfront. <laughs> you need to read it carefully. You need to understand the character. And which, you know, all these aren't true. Oh, not so much my success at it. Success is just happen, something You just happen to invest in the right thing, boom, right? Mm. You just make just see the right asset class, you go in, boom, you make it. Or you go into a particular asset class, you add value to it, you fix it, you make it. But those things you don't learn as much actually. We just because it's already in you, you do it, you happen to get it right. Whereas you do make from make good learning from mistakes.
1: Mm. You because, know, one of the things that you said at the beginning about observing business tycoons, and what they were doing. You know, I came to Thailand 30 years ago, so to Asia 30 years ago. And even then, things were already developed quite a bit, you know, compared to other places. But you could just look at the tycoons across Asia and realize, like, it's so different from, let's say, in the the West or in a developed country where a whole infrastructure is set. I mean, everything's set. The laws are set, roads are set, you know, buildings. Everything's there. But for the early entrepreneurs and visionaries in Asia, it was like, you know, maybe back to 100 or 200 years ago in in the US, for example, when nothing was set. It's like you're constantly in quicksand and you're trying to construct something without a lot of infrastructure in place. So you've got to have a really clear vision and you've got to be able to operate in a really complex, you know, way where there's just so many moving parts. Whereas now, in some ways you could argue that business is a lot more simple. The infrastructure is there. So those tycoons, you know, really can teach us quite a bit.
0: Yes, and and they do make mistakes too in their personal as well as in business life. <laughs> and they deal with high pressure, which not just anyone experience in their, their life, which which therefore people cannot imagine sometimes what the life is like, even though they're all they're also humans. But they yeah. face Set of circumstances.
1: Yep. Well, that's a great background. And I think we all get to know you a bit, which is exciting. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story.
0: Actually, when I was in my 20s, you know, and just fresh from uni and fresh from my initial real estate venture, I was doing quite okay. Right? In uni, I was doing well. I was thinking of going into like investment banking and things like that and the traditional career path for people who achieve high grades. Right? But I decided to, to go more into the family business side of things. And then I went to try to do my own thing, right? which was to get involved with some software company. Again, it was, it was not the, the Microsoft of things, you know. it was a small software company, which I saw potential in, in the business. Yeah, the POS system actually, which wasn't so well used in early two thousands, it wasn't so widespread. Well A lot of people were just using cash
1: registers at that time. So I and thought for, POS, for the for the listeners out there, yeah. POS so, stands for point of sales.
0: Uh, point of sales, yeah, point of sales. So which you know you may take it for granted in the West that you know everyone was using it, every single shop was using it, and then it makes your accounting also easy, right? But in emerging Asia in early 2000s, it wasn't so common. Mm. So I saw a lot of people just using cash registers. So we thought there's a good opportunity in there, right, for these shops, especially those who began to open more branches. They got to systemize. They could not just use every, they could not just let every branch use cash registers, right? It's subject to, you know, thieves, uh, thefts and things like that, right? So we thought, Point of sales would be a good thing to implement. Even though, yeah, there were some emerging competitors which then validated our, our idea that, yeah, it's, it's the thing to do. So I did not create it. In fact, in fact, I just went into partnership with this software company. I invested some money. But then, you know, business opportunity is one thing. And true enough, if you see now, it's the norm for businesses, shops, retail shops to use that they don't really use only cash registers anymore, right? Mm. So, but then the mistake I made, I made at the time was about the people, which is why I hired more about the people, right? Because if you, if you deal with people who, whom actually you should not have trusted, no matter how good the business opportunity is, it's actually useless. Because they don't do the right things. They don't hire the right people to run the show. They just have a nice-looking product Supposedly a system that works. So they only got it right in the IT. They didn't get it right in the sales. They didn't get it right in the management. And they, they were just quite sloppy in things because they thought, oh, there's still cash to burn. So in the end, after a while, I got tired of pumping cash into the business. Mm. So I just, oh, just goes off. Because, you know, no point. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't that big mistake, but it, it made, it's one of those trigger points that, made me feel that it's, a, it's still a lesson that I got to understand people better. Back then but, I understood maths better because I, was, I got this quantitative background in like engineering, finance, and things. So I understood maths better, but I figured along the way that I better understand people better. So,
1: so, so maybe, maybe you can explain what you learned from this experience. And I know that's shaped a lot of you know, who you are today.
0: So I learned, in response, you know, when I was doing that business, some of my family seniors also got to see these people. And then they, they told me, you know, if you observe their body language, if you observe the way they talk, if you observe just the way they conduct things, actually, you should not even have trusted them. Don't even look at the business. So you should not even have, have, have had to look at the business at all. So sometimes you, you need to observe who they are, what they are like. So they intrigued me a bit because, you know, I thought, yeah, the numbers seem right. Someone should have worked right. So back then, it was me in my 20s at the time. So, but internally, it was a total loss, which, you know, in as a percentage of the whole investment that we had, which was, uh, until today, is still mostly in real estate property related in terms of the our personal and family holdings. But it wasn't that big, but it's one of those painful things, you know, that, you know, it was a but quite, quite, quite frankly. I should not even have trusted these people.
1: Mm. So, um, maybe I'll, I'll just share some of my takeaway from that. I think, you know, one of the things is I like to say that when you're investing in a startup, you need to look for a few things. The first thing is trust. If you don't have yeah. trust, don't waste your time. Like you said, even if it's a good idea, it's going to blow up. The second thing is, is the idea. So, if you have trust and you go to the next step, which is the idea, if it's a good idea, go for it. But if it's not a good idea, don't do it, even if you trust them. So, if you have trust and you have a good idea, the next question is execution. Can these people actually execute the idea? It's very different, you know, skill set to execute something that is to come up with the idea. So, if you trust them, you like their idea, and you think they can execute, the last part is money, capital. And what I always say is make sure you're not the only provider of capital. If you're the only provider of capital, then they're going to come back to you for more money. And if you don't have the ability to do that, or you don't want to commit more and more to it, you're going to be stuck. So trust, idea, execution, capital, those are the things that I look at a lot. You know, The second thing that I take away from your story is that when we're young and in school, everything adds up. It's all a formula. You know, we learn the formulas in engineering or in finance or in accounting. It all balances, and we just apply the formula. But when we get out to real life, you've just demonstrated that it's not – the formula is the easy part. It's about reading the people, understanding the motives, figuring out where, where is the team that's together that will stay together and bring value. And so a lot of people come out of school, and they're, they feel really confident because they think that they've learned the key things, but in fact, what they've learned is the easy stuff. Anything you would add to that?
0: And there are many ways to read people, as I learned over the years. You can read, you can see the expression. Obviously, if you're like you and me, you can read that expression, whether they're sincere or whether they are liars. Yeah? Something they can see because they always gaze away, right? So <laughs> then you can kind of tell. I say they can they can feel quite uneasy. Dealing with you, especially when you still look into their eyes, mm. yeah. And then you see from their body language, or sometimes even before you meet them, if they are public figure, or if there are some other ways, you can you can know. I said the date of birth, you, you can you can find out something about them, that. You yeah. from their, their potential you can see from that, and then and then if you if you go into a certain situation, business situation, and then you need to assess is what should we do from here? Let's say, uh, will this business actually work out? Uh, for example, you can use logic to some degree, right? You can use facts, you can use your research uh, to some degree. But sometimes all this can lead to something inconclusive sometimes in life because you can be in the dilemma. Let's say in the case of some businesses experiencing the effects of COVID, for example, you can be in the dilemma. What to do? Should we do this or should we do that? You know. Mm. Uh, so what should you do? Sometimes I use different tools to read situations. I say, and then I check the, uh, I say the energy formation. Then I, then I see whether certain ideas can actually work out, whether certain cooperation or partnership can actually work out. That's reading the situation, not really reading the people. But sometimes you need to read the people also. Mm. And then you need to sometimes when you see a person, you watch their environment. Because the environment, say even their home or their office, can tell something about them too. Right? So someone with, with a well-located office that's well looked after, the desk at ID, you can tell that the person is sort of like that too. Whereas the person with very messy desk and then not even wear proper, wear clothes properly, and then mm. oh, and then who who are always very chaotic in doing things. You may feel uneasy dealing with the kind of person.
1: It's interesting that I sometimes when I've interviewed people, I've asked them, "Describe to me what your bedroom looks like." And <laughs> it's it's amazing, you know. Some say, "Oh, I'm really, really careful. I don't let anything in except this. I don't have much in my bedroom." Or another person says, "It's a mess. I got stuff everywhere." And it's just funny that you start to get some of their character by them describing what their bedroom looks like. And it's trying to get to some of this, particularly if I'm looking for someone for a job that really needs to be orderly and structured, you know, for some jobs where I'm really looking for that. You know, you really have to go beyond because everybody will say, oh yeah, I'm orderly and structured. But if you ask some questions or you try to observe, you know, you can try to get some information about, you know, the way that they're, they really are acting.
0: And if you're investing in someone's company, I mean... My role is—it's not just an as an investor. Actually, I would not consider myself as an investor, even though I share with you invest my mm. personal investment story. I'm more like a thinker advisor kind because I, even in my own businesses, I begin to step back a bit so that I'm more like the thinker strategist and I give advice kind of thing. I advise more more my friends to and some other business owners, and I hope to do to do that more and more. So mm. I step back and I I look into things because I'm better in thinking, but. Oh, what I observe in people, let's say, even from their date of birth, you can read their potential and their potential destiny in there to, to some degree. So you can sort of see whether a person has the potential for success in the worst so way, in my opinion, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So not everyone agrees mm-hmm. with me, but I, I see, let's say, whether, for example, a person can be very innovative and have strong leadership qualities. But then, whereas another person I see you should not be even managing people. So, you know, the whole, for the world to function, is about placing the right people in the right place. And then everyone playing their role accordingly. Not mm. everyone will be born readers. Too. No, actually no. And mm. not everyone are supposed to be entrepreneurs because actually most people fail in their entrepreneur journey. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, I'll give you one example recently that, someone is trying to pitch an idea of some tech venture, okay? So I just, I just see the date of birth of one of the key people. I see it's still a long way for the person to make money, make serious money in his life. So just judging from there, I wouldn't even touch it. Mm. That's the first indicator. Second indicator, I see his conduct, very sloppy. So just looking at this, not, I may or may not be right. But then I when I see see that the decision will be not even to to invest and not even to introduce anyone to invest in the company. Because I see it unlikely to make money. Yeah. If the the main person there is unlikely to, I mean I, I don't see the position of the person making serious money during this period of time, I say during this cycle of his life, I probably won't even touch
1: you know i have a i have a story of a, a friend of mine who despite being very very talented is extremely poor i mean in the area of his talent he's got to be within the top 1% in the world he is extremely talented but he can't get money and he can't keep money and i had we spent about 2 hours talking about it till that we went back to his history and all that and then i learned some things about his past that shaped the way he thinks about money and the way he reacts to money. And what I realized after this long discussion was that he's never going to have money. His mindset has been set to reject money. Like money is something bad. You should be doing it for the good of the world. And he never was able to justify why he should be able to receive it. And sure enough, he he never has any money despite the fact that he has skills that he could be earning a million dollars a year from. And that is just a perfect example of something about someone's character that shapes their outcomes.
0: Actually, some of the, the elders, uh, say, in Asia, just from the way you shake their hand, you can tell, they can hardly tell what kind of person you are. Because you, and they can subtly they can feel your hand whether your hand got money or not. Whether you can, whether your hand is heavy enough to hold authority that can entrust to you. There is such thing too. I say, there are different ways to observe people, right? So, like, like I'll describe earlier. So, like, one of my friends here in Singapore who actually gave consults to some, like, vice presidents of banks and, yeah, people of that nature. I mean, there was one time she even also felt my hand. I said, "Just shaking my hand, She could give that the remarks too. Mm. When it's heavy enough, can this energy hold authority? Can you hold it, the po- can you hold the position? Because you know it's like holding a throne, you know. But it's a diff- it's not a, it's not an em- emperor or king kind of throne. Mm, it can be mm. a throne too, right? It can be a I, vice president kind of tone or, you know, a position, right?
1: You know, it's, it's an interesting point about this is that if you go back to the West and you look at the average American, if they listen to this type of concept, it's very foreign to them. And they may think, oh, it's not, nothing reliable there. And I think many of my Western friends are out of touch with those things. And in fact... From a Western school of management, nowadays, what are people learning? They're learning numbers, 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 KPIs. And they think that you can manage people by numbers. And the reality is is that they're becoming less and less connected with the people around them and the people that they manage. Whereas in Asia, I think there's there's definitely much more of a connection between the manager and the people that they manage.
0: That's all the more, you need the power. You need to have the grip and you need to have the personal energy. Otherwise you cannot hold the post. You just cannot, you will not be respected by the people. Mm. You just don't command the respect.
1: Yep. And, uh, I also tell a little story of when I worked for Pepsi in Los Angeles, if anybody asked me where I work, I would say I work at Pepsi. And now in Thailand, one of the businesses I have is a coffee business. And it's my best friend Dale and I that have owned it and Dale's been running it for 25 years. And when people ask, hey, where do you work to our employees? They say, I work for Dale and Andrew. And so the connection, particularly in Asia is not necessarily to the company, it's the loyalty to an individual. And so that personal power, the personal leadership is something that really matters, particularly in Thailand where it's a hierarchical situation in the society. So, say
0: it's still the same for even your neighboring countries, you know, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam. Yep. I think yep. the same.
1: Yep, yep. And even for me in the Thai society, I have some people above me that are much higher above me in political and government and finance and economic. And a few of them are really, you know, people that, that help me and in some cases protect me, in some cases advise me, and some cases keep me out of trouble. But you know, that looking up, and then that means that also, if I'm not taking care of the people below me, it means that they're not able to rely on me. And then you'll find that they have to go somewhere else. In a society that's hierarchical, people are gonna go and follow the people that can get them what they need in that society. So it's very different from, let's say, what I learned in the West, and it took me a long time, to really figure it out. But I, I would say after more, more years in Thailand than I lived in the U.S. now, you know, I think I understand it pretty well. So it's very fascinating to hear you, know, you talk about it.
0: Yeah, because yeah, it does matter. Personal power and everything does matter. And these are the things, the qualities that the business tycoons when they look for people to be in their inner circle, these are things that they, they pay attention the most. It's not, mm. not how intelligent you are. It's not only that. Yes, they're they're impressed by intelligence. But if they see that you can't really be trusted, you cannot be inside the inner circle. You can never be.
1: Mm. So let's go back to your story. And I want to ask you this question. And I want you to think about a young man or woman coming out of school. They're confident. They've got the numbers down. Think about that person who's listening to this podcast. And I'm going to ask you this question based upon what you learned from this story and what you've continued to learn in your life. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: Actually, you gave a very good framework. You, know? yes. you, you said, firstly, you need to see in an, a journey, whether you can trust the person. You, if you cannot even trust it, forget about the, the whole thing. <laughs> you just forget about the whole thing. No matter how, how good and tempting the idea is. Look, you are not going to be billionaire if you get cheated right from the beginning. You know, so,
1: so, so no Do point. you trust the person? Actually, what's yeah. great about that advice, Andre, is that that's not what you learn. You don't learn that in school.
0: Yes. I mean, seriously, you don't look in the, into the ideas first. You see, you see the kind of people you work with first. <laughs> it's going to even be workable. So mm. once you get the treasure, I, I agree with you, then you look at the idea. Yeah. And then you look at the execution and you look at the funding. Whether the funding can last you because some of the so-called entrepreneurial ventures, it takes time to prove, you know. So, for example, internet ideas, you know, internet-based ideas in emerging Asia in early 2000s. It requires a lot of, it required a lot of patience because Mm. internet wasn't really a thing in emerging Asia in early 2000s. You remember that that dial-up internet, you know, that kind of Mm. model. The internet was so slow, e-commerce wasn't really taking off. You need a lot of cash to burn for you to last. If you don't have the right, the last point, which you mentioned for funding or the capital, mm-hmm. you'll be gone before it took off. Yeah. So, so you need all those ingredients. Yeah, you, you put in a very good uh, framework. Actually. So, yeah,
1: but the, then the only way I came to that framework is because I lost money and I, I had to develop that framework because I could see where it went wrong because the people that I invested with, I did trust and I still trust. The idea was excellent, but they couldn't execute. And I never thought about that part. I only thought about the idea and trust. And then I was the only provider of capital. So I really learned a lot from that particular investment. My last question for you, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Actually, I operate at two levels. One level, I manage my family's investment. And the second level is as you probably begin to know and you know more and more Mm. is that I try to express more about what I can do, like more the strategic thinking advisory kind of thing. And I hope to do this actually for more businesses, which is why I'm even stepping back from my own businesses, not stepping out completely, but stepping back so that the other partners can run them and I Mm. can do it. I can contribute to more people because I think I can do more strategic thinking for more people, more organization, which I think when I check into my own destiny, I think that's what I should be doing. So there are two things. So two things I operate in. uh, So within 12 months, that one is a bit bit difficult question to answer because normally people overestimate what they can do within 12 months, but they underestimate what they could do in three to five years. Mm. So if we remove the time limitation, I think the two things I hope to do will be Actually, my own investments, I, w- I hope to simplify so that I can free up the space in my mind to do more of the strategic thinking, kind of thing, which, which is something I like to do. Right? I like to observe people. I like to read situations. I like to solve problems. I like to come up with new ideas. I like to come up with new solutions. Hopefully for more businesses, which I don't know when I get to meet the right ones yeah? to actually really work with for the very long term. i the really the bigger organization. I think that's why I'm supposed to be in. So... To fulfill my own destiny. Right? So mm. life itself is about fulfillment, right? It's not so much about achievement, right? It's about yep. fulfillment, right? So, and it's more than just happiness. Right? Happiness is a is a fake concept. You can be happy for just a moment. Afterwards, you feel nothing. But <laughs> When you feel fulfilled, it's something more self-sustaining. And I think I should be doing more right, of contributing my thinking, contributing my thoughts, which is what I do in the ring-in. Yeah? So as you notice, sometimes yeah. I write, I share my ideas. Maybe I should do it for more organizations. You know, the ones that mm. are they're suitable to work with. You know, yep. that, that probably understand the kind of concept I just shared with you in this podcast. Like, right? you know, like the personal power things, you know. yeah, <laughs> the yep. yep. Reading situations. How can you just read situations? Well, you know, military advisors in those, in ancient times used to do that. Yep. But, but then in business, why these days... Not everyone do that you know actually mm. some mm. people they tend to just use numbers yeah. whereas you know you need to read situations in a more holistic sense so my goals would be to to do more of this you know to guide more people in the more like the business context and I think I think these ideas work better actually for bigger organizations because you know they do seem to strategize a bit like in a war or battle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because they, they do have big stakes at play. Yeah. So yeah. so they they need to strategize to in a very tactical, long-term strategy kind of thing. Something tactical short term, but sometimes long term. You need to balance and, it.
1: And for the listeners out there, you can follow Andre on LinkedIn. That's where I first came across him and follow some of his writing. And I've appreciated it there. So I'll have all the links in the show notes and uh, get in touch with him. And listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, to reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, Andre, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: Basically, anyone can read my link-in post, right? So anyone with a link account can just read my post or my article. Right? So feel free to do that. And then, yeah, thanks, Andrew, for inviting me
1: this podcast great great to have you on and great to have you share and that's a wrap on another great story to help us create grow and protect our wealth fellow risk takers this is your worst podcast host andrew stott saying i'll see you on the upside